0: Reading from Job chapter 28 There is a a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore Man puts an end to the darkness He searches the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness Far from where people dwell he cuts a shaft In places forgotten by the foot of man Far from men he dangles and sways. The earth from which food comes is transformed below as by fire. Sapphires come from its rocks and its dust contains nuggets of gold. No bird of prey knows that hidden path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts do not set foot on it and no lion prowls there. Man's hand assaults the flinty rock and layers bay the roots of the mountains. He tunnels through the rock, his eyes see all its treasures, he searches the sources of the rivers and brings hidden things to light. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? Man does not comprehend, comprehend its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, with precious onyx or sapphires. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention, The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say only a rumor of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it. And he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to man, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun death is understanding. Let's just come and pray together. Father, we come into your presence now and we just ask that that you'll give us understanding. That you'll show us your wisdom and speak to us your truth. That you will meet with us as we gather now around your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't want to be misunderstood, so let me make it clear. I cannot stand reality TV. Can't stand it. Watching often needy people making fools of themselves for a moment of fame is not my idea of entertainment. For me, it's like the The Roman gladiatorial shows, but on a psychological rather than a physical level. A few unfortunates making a spectacle of themselves for the entertainment of the masses. And and what's even worse are the so called celebrity versions. You know, what makes these people celebrities? Most of them are unknown to the vast majority. But you know, what made me shudder? And even cringe with embarrassment was when a number of years ago, George Galloway was on one of them. Whenever anyone says, Scots MP George Galloway, I want to hide under a table, he's ours. He is. How could this man ever have had such a long, long career in politics? And remember, people voted him in. Again and again, they chose him. It almost makes me want to renounce democracy. <laughs> but maybe this is, is not quite so astonishing, because you see, you say what you want to like about George, and people have said plenty about him. He's never far from controversy. Yet one thing that I don't think can be denied is that he is an intelligent man, highly intelligent and cunning too. I think that old Scots word maybe captures him best sleek it. You know, It's one of those words where the meaning and the sound just match together beautifully. Another thing that I believe is sure and certain about George Galloway is that despite all his intellect and his cunning he is not a wise man. He is not a man of wisdom. For as you look at some of the decisions that he's made and, and the impact that they've had as you look at the chaos of his personal life, then it's not hard to come to that conclusion that this is not a man of wisdom, which could perhaps also be said about one or two prominent modern politicians as well. Boris, I mean, sorry, (laughs) names just pop out, Donald. Anyway, this begs the question, though, just what is wisdom? Where can we find wisdom? How can we learn? To make wise decisions, wise choices, to live and to act wisely. Well, the answer to these questions is, I believe, to be found here in Job 28. All of them, though, emanating out from the answer to that, that question. Where is wisdom to be found? Where is wisdom to be found? Before we move on to have a look at this, though, let me just say just a word or two about how this chapter, Job 28, fits into the structure of the the book of Job as a whole because, you see, it's quite different in character from what goes before it and from what follows it. And the way I would probably want to describe it is as a poetic interlude and almost an ingathering of breath. You see, the, the friends' arguments, their attacks on Job, they're over with Job's response to them. And the two big hitters are now set to come on stage, Job and the Lord himself, coming with almost like the the closing arguments in a court case. But before they enter, in the middle we have this poem on wisdom that that sets the stage, that lays the foundation for all that is to come. And what's great is it's actually powerfully set out for a preacher like me, as revolving around that question, where can we find wisdom? Three points are made here. Three points, wonderful. Separated in verse 12 and 20 by that almost identical uh, statement. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? Okay, well, first then we are told that man cannot unearth it. Man cannot unearth it and, and what's interesting here is that in contrast to where Job's friends later come attackers end up in their attempts to con- get him to confess the non-existent sin they say has led to his suffering well they get to the point of calling man a maggot and a worm. Job 25.6 How much less is man who is but a maggot A son who is only a worm. The idea being that man is only a worm and a maggot and Job, you're not any better, so stop kidding yourself on. But see then the contrast to what's said there in these first 11 verses of Job 28. For these verses, which reflect, I believe, the heart and the mind of God, express a very high opinion of man they speak of man's ingenuity and man's industry man's courage and the context that's used to do all this is mining because you see even in those ancient days man was digging down into the bowels of the earth to unearth and extract its treasures in fact this is one of the very few pieces of ancient literature that tells us anything about the kind of mining technique and technology of those days but, but it does seem to just suggest that even this far back in history man had managed to find the means of getting deep down into the bowels of the earth verse three and four man puts an end to the darkness he searches the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness far from where people dwell he cuts a shaft in places forgotten by the foot of men. Far from men, he dangles and sways. In fact, so high is God's estimate of man, his opinion of his intelligence, his courage and his perception, that the falcon that's famed for its vision, the lion that's famed for its courage, are both mentioned here, but neither is the equal of man. Verse 7. No bird of prey knows that hidden path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts do not set foot on it. And no lion prowls there. Man's hand assaults the flinty rock. And lays bare the roots of the mountains. So man then. By the, his ingenuity. By his courage. By the application of of his abilities, can lay bare the treasures of the earth. But still, we're told, man cannot in and of himself unearth true wisdom. For for human wisdom, even at its very best, falls short. And it's worse, as we touched on at the very beginning. It can degenerate into cunning. Man can do great things. Man can do amazing things. We can send men to the moon. We can do heart transplants, now face transplants. And if ever they can do brain transplants, I want to be at the front of the queue whether they say I need it or not. And I'll tell them, I want the brain of a very, very clever person. No argument about that. But I also want the brain of somebody who never gets lost. Somebody who can put a plug on without blowing anybody up. And somebody who when they listen to the lyrics of a song can remember them for more than 30 seconds. But, even the most incredibly intelligent and gifted people do seem capable, able to do the most unwise and foolish things. Do they not? I mean, I've known people like that and I'm sure you've too. You've known them. People who've been highly intelligent. People who've Seem to be at points sensible and wise people. But then they've taken decisions. They've taken advice or they've given advice. They've co- followed a course of action for some reason. That has laid waste to their life and the lives of those around them. And, and you've wondered, if you're like me. Where does that come from? From that person? But you see the facts are that what this demonstrates is that whatever wisdom these people have, or whatever wisdom they seem to have, it wasn't really deeply rooted. It had no real substance. There was no real depth to that wisdom. This world's wisdom is superficial. For example, one of the the beauties that I've heard a, a number of times over the last few years is the famous, just follow your heart and you'll do the right thing. My response is, what a load of drivel that is. I mean, really. What that's saying is, just do what you want, do whatever you feel like, and you'll get it right. and Everything will turn out fine. Oh yes, that'll work. Mm -hmm. And probably one of the most glaring examples of man's inability Despite his intelligence and despite his many other gifts and abilities, man's inability to unearth true wisdom. A great example, I think, is the former US President Bill Clinton. This is a highly intelligent man. He's a man who, many would say, in lots of ways, led his country extremely well. A man who was, you know, nobody's fool. And he was a man who apparently just oozed personal charm. But if you read his life story and his business life and in his personal life, Bill Clinton made some incredibly naive, foolish decisions. He may well be judged as one of the great American presidents of all time, but he was not a wise man. So wisdom, man cannot unearth it. Also, man cannot buy it. And here from verse 15 on, treasures that are representatives of all the treasures of this world are are run through. Gold, silver, onyx, sapphires, coral, jasper, rubies, but none of these, we're told, can buy wisdom. Verse 15. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed in silver. Verse 18. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. You know, I was once watching breakfast television on BBC, and and one of the items that they had on on this particular day was that that weekend, it was a while ago, because it's a lot more now, and I don't understand all the different categories in this, but that that weekend, the Euro lottery had a a prize of over 80 million pounds. There is, though, a 75 to 1 million. Chance again it, seventy-five million to one chance of winning it. But that's a different thing. But the three presenters who were involved in this programme at, at the time, they began to discuss and share together what they would do with this money if they won it. And then one of them remarked that research has actually found that it does you more good imagining what you would do if you won the lottery than if you actually won it. That it does you more good than winning it. It does more good for your mental and emotional health to kind of dream in this way than it does to actually win the thing. And this, I think, is a a proven fact because it's been proven that, that winning the lottery so often leads to family feuds, marriage breakups, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, depression, anything negative, you name it, and you almost automatically... The, the rates, the likelihood of having these things rises if you win the lottery. And largely, you see, that's because money cannot buy you real wisdom. Can't buy it. You see, these people, they have all the money, but they don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to use it. They make unwise, foolish decisions, wrong choices. So all this money far from bringing the joy that they anticipated, more often brings heartbreak. And it's all because they lack true wisdom. It's all because money cannot buy wisdom. So what have we learned so far in answer to that question? Where can we find wisdom? We've learned that man cannot unearth it, that we can't figure our way to it, that man cannot buy it, That wealth and power don't mean you'll receive it. No, man can only receive wisdom. I can only receive it from God. You see, what Job 28 tells us and what the Bible tells us is that real wisdom, true wisdom, comes from God. Because wisdom, you see, is about understanding how this world actually operates. And how best to, to live within this world. Well, you see, as God made this world? as God made us? as God made everything? Mm-hmm. Then who could possibly be better placed to tell us how to live wisely and well than God? And let me just say here, uh, I know I've probably said it before, but I don't think it can be said too often. People say that today, Our society has got big problems. We know it as we hear it all the time. And different people have got their different hobby horses. We've got drug problems. That's our big problem. Alcohol problems. We've got crime problems. We've got family problems. Breakdown in family problems. We've got terrorism problems. And I could go on and on. But I want to say to you. That although all of these. I believe are definitely big problems. Yet none of them is our real problem. Now, really what we've got in this country today is a God problem. Or maybe more accurately, a lack of God problem. As a nation, we have turned our back on God. For almost a hundred years, maybe for not that long, but almost, we've largely ignored God. We've turned from him and our national life We've given no thought to him in the way that we've framed our laws. And we've ignored him in our personal lives. God has been given no part to play in the way we've lived our lives. We've turned our back on the wisdom of God. And the result of that, look around you, the result is chaos. And I pray that, that our nation, that our leaders will open their eyes... That they'll have their eyes open to see what our real problem actually is, and at the end of Job 28, and particularly in Job 9, and sorry, in Proverbs 9 and 10, we're taken there to what the roots of real wisdom actually is. It says, "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom." And Byron Smith, I remember that name? He he spells out. What this actually means in practice, he says that the best way to negotiate this life is by living in reverent submission to the one who made us. And that incidentally, in in this context, is is what fear actually means and is in the Bible. It's not about having some kind of cringing, hand-dog attitude towards life, fearful. No, it's about having reverence and respect for God. Just put that into Proverbs 9 and 10 and you'll get the idea. Respectful, reverent, submission to the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now Job, as we know, was a man of great wisdom. He's one of the Bible's wisest men. Let me just repeat to you again. God's verdict on Job in Job 1 verse 8. There is no one it says on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. But wise man, as Job undoubtedly was, yet wisdom ultimately and supremely is revealed in Jesus Christ. You see, in Jesus, the wisdom of God is captured in human form. It's bound up in Jesus Christ. Luke 2.40 says of him that he grew and became strong, He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. And Jesus spoke of himself, particularly in this way. This is what he said, Matthew 12, 42. He said that people came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. But he said, but now one greater than Solomon is here. So I want to say to you, do you want to know tonight How to find wisdom. Do you want to know how to live a life of wisdom? How to use your life wisely? How to live wisely? Do you want to know how to do that? Then look to Jesus. It's that simple. Model your life on Jesus. Seek to live in reverent submission to Jesus. Live with him as Lord in charge of your life. And you'll soon find yourself living wisely. Seek him. I don't know what I'm saying, but it's really not working very well. That's number four away. Right? <clears throat> seek him in the Word of God. Seek him by the Spirit of God. Seek Jesus with all your heart and along with his peace, his joy, his love, and so many other things. Seek Jesus and you will find wisdom. The wise man, the wise woman in this world isn't the well educated person isn't the highly intelligent person, isn't even the genius. No, the wise person is the one who irrespective of what their intellect might be, who follows Jesus, who lives with Jesus as Lord. But let's just remember again the context of Job 20. Let's just remember that. And so here's something that I read. Coming as it does at the close of a debate about why Job is suffering, Job 28 emphasizes the idea that true wisdom is not a matter of knowing why suffering happens. Rather, true wisdom is a matter of knowing the God who knows why suffering happens. The appropriate way to approach suffering is therefore not to seek an an explanation for it, but to seek to get to know God better through the experience. I hope you've got that. True wisdom. When we've reached the point of spiritual maturity where we are wise, this will bring us to the point, and sometimes it's a, a painful journey it's not easy to get to this sometimes we come to this through tears and through doubt and all sorts of things but ultimately this will bring us to the point where finally we no longer ask the question why but rather we ask what Lord are you trying to teach me and how Lord how as a result of this can I grow closer to you and reveal more of your glory in my life. Charles Swindle in his book he shares shares something here that I think is relevant. He says that there was a man in our congregation who recently underwent brain surgery the tumour in the frontal section within his cranium was pushing his brain back and slowly eroding his memory each week the growth of the tumour became more and more pronounced and debilitating finally brain surgery was the only option I visited him in the hospital following successful surgery. A scar on his scalp stretched from his left ear across the top of his head down to his right ear. Stainless steel staples held the incision closed. He was lying there on the bed, smiling, when I walked in. It wasn't long before I realised that my visiting him was for a very different reason than I had planned In going to visit him, I witnessed and received a fresh infusion of wisdom. He didn't get any from me, I got it from him. He spoke of the Lord from the moment we started our conversation until I left. He mentioned insights that the Lord had given him. He talked about lessons he'd begun to learn. He spoke of an overwhelming sense of peace that he'd enjoyed from the outset I mean if ever a man was fully focused on the Lord this man was his words flowed with a gentle tone there was a calm pace in our conversation as he responded and he was saying in effect please don't feel sorry for me this brain surgery has turned out to be my opportunity to trust in the Lord with all my heart to have him show me Things that I would otherwise have missed. And Twindle finishes. He was literally rejoicing, as was his wife. Wisdom and understanding had eclipsed pain and panic. I think that's wisdom. The wisdom that all doesn't always seek to have that question why answered. I mean it's a sinful world. Often that's as far as any answer can go it's a messed up world men and women suffer because of sin and we're part of that we suffer many times we'll never know the precise reason why but God wisdom seeks God in our situation wisdom seeks to continue to live in submission to God throughout our suffering now again I want to say wisdom is precious There are times when we've got to fight our way to it. We've got to fight through doubt and fear to get to wisdom. And God's ready for that. God understands that. He knows us and loves us. He's ready to walk with us through all that doubt and unbelief. He is. But he does want us to grow. To be men and women of wisdom. That's what he wants us to get to be. He doesn't mind the journey, but he does care about the destination, that we reach that destination. May God, as he looks upon us now, see a people here whose hearts too are set on being men and women like this. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you that you are a wise God, and wisdom is one of the, the blessings that you give to your people. You make us wise as you make us people who revere you, respect you, submit to you, who walk with you, who seek you in every situation, who know that we can never know all the answers because we're not big enough for that. But we know you and we will trust in you. And we know that you have for each one of us far greater things than any of the riches or pleasures of this world. Father, help us to look to you. Help us to hold on to you. Help us to continue to trust in you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.